Before we begin today, let's quickly open in a word of prayer again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Morgan and for her decision to follow you and to make a public declaration of that today, Lord. We, 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 ex- we praise you for that, Lord. We, out, we ask that you would encourage her throughout her life to remember this day. But we also um, remember that we are not complete now, but we will be someday, and that we can be confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in us shall be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we ask this, that you would do this in Morgan's life. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, today uh, we are continuing in our um, adventures of Joseph, and we are drawing close to the end of this portion of the scripture. Um, <coughs> but today, what we are talking about is, as I said, Israel journeys to Egypt. So the first thing we're going to notice about this is that when Israel um, makes a journey to Egypt, when he makes the determination to make this journey to Egypt, his first response is one of worship. Consider with me, if you will, Genesis 46, 1 through 7. Genesis 46, 1 through 7. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto God of his father, unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke unto Israel in the visions of the night, saying, Here am I. And he said, I am the God, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go into Egypt, for there I will make of thee a great nation. I will go down into Egypt, I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and his sons of his and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones, and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, and his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And so we have a situation that Israel begins this journey with all that he has, and he comes to Beersheba. And Beersheba was a place where sacrifices had been made before. This was a significant place in the, in the lives of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And it was also a place whereby the journey was kind of um, getting to the, the kind of the outskirts of their land and really pushing on to the next land. I... I, I was reading uh, as I was coming here today that it was in some ways thought as the point of no return. Like if you go, if you're going towards Beersheba, maybe there's a point at which you turn around and go back. But once you get to Beersheba, you're saying, I'm not going back. I'm continuing on my journey. And um, I just, by way of introduction, I actually want to flip back to Genesis chapter 15, if we could. 
Genesis chapter 15, because this was foretold to Abraham. And uh, in Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham and, and says, um, where are we? Oh, and he says in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 15, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation wherein they shall serve, I shall judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And they shall go unto thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt go unto thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So in this case, he is saying to Abram, your people are going to be oppressed. They are going to be brought into a land where they will be treated as slaves. They'll be in bondage for 400 years, but I will bring them out. And perhaps... Israel is reflecting on this because there was a great tradition in those days to pass on information like this orally or possibly even write it down. We don't know all of Moses' sources for his information, but we know he was divinely inspired to write these stories down. And in whatever the case is, uh, God says, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will surely bring thee up again. Now, remember, as we've gone through the story of Joseph, what's the one theme that keeps repeating itself over and over again? In everything, and every high, and every low that Joseph experiences in his life, one phrase repeats, and it's this, and God was with him. That should be the prayer of every believing Christian on the face of the earth, that whatever God goes, puts them through, whatever they are going through, they can say with utmost confidence, and God was with me. Because he said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And so this situation is perhaps such that Israel is remembering, hey, my father said we would go down, we would be put into bondage, maybe I should be afraid here. And God is saying, do not be afraid. For I will bring you down, and I will bring you out again. Now the timetable is not one that we would appreciate. Israel's not going to see his people delivered from Egypt but he has a need and a desire to trust that God will bring that about to pass could we look at also by way of cross reference Genesis 12 1-3 Genesis 12 1-3 if one of the gentlemen in the audience gets to that passage, if they could stand and read it for us. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's 
Now this story is significant to us as believers, particularly because of that last phrase. And in thee, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And indeed, our Lord Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, one of these men that is going down to sojourn in the land of Egypt. And so it does have significance to us. There are so many stories in the scriptures about waiting. I'm glad because I'm not good at waiting. But it's a good reminder that the things that God tells us, he will do. The Lord, the Bible says that he is faithful and he also will do it. And what a wonderful, what a wonderful promise that is to each of us. Strength comes to us equal to our need. As thy days, so shall thy strength be, Deuteronomy 33:25. How many promises of God's word there are which are of a nature to deliver us from fear. They are like moles or sea walls thrust out into the deep, and within their shelter all is peace and quiet. Dwight L. Moody, his favorite verse was Isaiah 12:2. I will trust and not be afraid. He used to say, you can travel first class or second class to heaven. Second class is what time I am afraid I will trust. First class is, I will trust and not be afraid. That is the better way. Why not buy a first class ticket? Now, I think all of us can admit that we would prefer a first class ticket, but also can admit that we have spent a fair amount of time in second class. But it is said that the Bible tells us 365 times in the in its pages do not fear fear not because God knew guess what he knew that we are a fearful people so we needed to hear that but I want you to see something important in this first section Israel took his journey and he made a sacrifice to God, and God spoke to Israel. If you're going through a rough time, it is quite possibly because God wants you to cry out to him. We often don't we often don't cry out to God in Thanksgiving during the good times as we should. But often when we are brought to a low place, we cry out to God because the only way to look is up. For me, that happened in a very real way on, in June of 1993. I had come out of a very bitter year in my life. I felt like God had abandoned me for a large portion of that. Of course, now looking back, I know that wasn't true. He never did. But I had lost my baby brother 
at three months of age. It tore me up. It was really the end of the rope for me in a lot of ways because I, I was already struggling with my identity, struggling with the fact that God had cursed me with this physical disability. And I said, God, I don't want to live anymore. Life on earth is not worth it. I don't want to live anymore. Just take me home. And I even contemplated just going out into the front of my house, driving in front of some cars on the street. We lived on a busy street. And I said, perhaps if I do that, life will be over and I can go to heaven and I don't have to worry about living anymore. And that is why, folks, I believe in the eternal security of the believer. Because if it had been up to me, it would have been done at that point. But see, God laid hold of me. And he didn't let me go. And he kept holding me until I surrendered to him. I can can give testimony to the fact that if you cry out to God, he will answer you. Looking at the second section of our passage tonight, we're going to read a lot of names here. I feel it's important to read all of them because God wrote them for a reason. God's blessings to Israel are recounted. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 1, verse 27, um, that children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Blessed is the man who hath his quiver full of them. As someone who grew up as the oldest of 12 children, I can honestly say that my parents embraced this wholeheartedly. As a result, my dad passed on to me two things that are very important. He passed on to me a love for the word of God and a love for children. Do we realize... When we think about our children and our grandchildren, that they are the only treasures that we will be able to take to the next life. You won't be dragging a U-Haul behind your hearse. Any amassed fortune will go to somebody else. And if you don't write down a will before you die, perhaps perhaps it's even possible that people will be fighting over who it goes to. But the thing that you can bring with you is the souls of others. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who winneth souls is wise. And what a greater platform that you have to win souls than within the confines of your own family. I have 22 nieces and nephews. And it is a great privilege of mine to try to model the best I can in my own weakness and frailties, what it's like to follow God wholeheartedly and to encourage them to do the same because it only takes one generation for a people to forget God. So let's look at Genesis 46, 8 to 27. Genesis 46, 8 to 27 says, And these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Helnach, and Felu, and Hazron, and Carmi, and the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, 
and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Sheol, the son of the Canaanitish woman, and the sons of Levi, and Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and the sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Pharez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Pharez were Haran, Hezon, and Hemu, and the sons of Issachar, Tola, and Petuva, and Job, Shimron, and the sons of Zebulun, Sered, and Elon, and Jehaliel. These be the sons of Leah, which she bore Jacob in Pandanarum, well, with his daughter Diana. All the souls of his sons and his daughters were thirty and three. And the sons of Gad, Ziphron, and Haggai, Shunai, Ebazan, Eri, and Eridoni, and Erili, and the sons of Asher, Jamera, Ishula, Isuai, Beera, Sierra, their sister, and the sons of Beera, Heber, and Melchiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, which Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bare unto Jacob, even sixteen souls. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And unto Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Pontipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And the sons of Benjamin were Bilhah and Belchiar and Ashabel, Gera and Aram, Ehi and Rosh, Mumphum and Hupam and Arad. These are the sons of Rachel, which were born to Jacob. All the souls were fourteen. And the sons of Dan, Hishram, and the sons of Naphtali, Ziel, Girnai, Jazar, and Shelem. These are the sons of Bilhah, which Laban gave unto Rachel his daughter. And she bare these unto Jacob. All the souls were seven. All the souls that came with Jacob into, into Egypt which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons, wives, and all their sons, were threescore and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. So, we see here that there was seventy sons. or 70 descendants that were brought in to Egypt. And um, I found this list of interesting uh, facts provided by David Guzik. He's a pastor. He has commentaries on blueletterbible.com and he writes, From the time God called Abraham, it took at least 25 years to add one son, Isaac. It took Isaac 60 years to add another son of Israel, Jacob. It took 50 or 60 years for Jacob to add 12 sons and one daughter. But in 430 years, Israel will leave Egypt with 600,000 men. It took this family 215 years to grow from 1 to 70 but in another 430 years, they grew to 2 million people. Isn't it interesting to see the way God works? God said, Abram, you're going to have a great nation. And then he made Sarah barren. And then he gave her Isaac. And he said, Isaac, 
You're going to carry on the, the, the legacy of your father. You're going to be a great nation. And then he made Rebecca barren. And then Jacob and Esau came along and God said, the older will serve the younger. And Rebecca was was uh, impatient for God, much like Sarah with Hagar, and said, steal your brother's blessing. Said that to Jacob. And all the, the craziness that ensued. But indeed, the older did serve the younger, and it was the younger son um, through which came the nation of Israel. And um, as we consider this, I again am reminded of God's timing. Sometimes God makes promises to us or we really feel like God is leading us in our direction and we, we want the answers now. I recently saw a picture on Facebook. I've seen it before. And it showed a little girl holding a teddy bear. And, and Jesus said, give me the teddy bear. And she's like, I, I, but I love this teddy bear. And behind Jesus' back, you see an even bigger, better teddy bear. And the point was made that sometimes the things that we that God wants to bless us with are withheld from us because we're, we're clinging to the good instead of waiting for the best. With a constant struggle in my life, I still greatly desire to marry and have a family, and I believe that God can do that, and I trust and pray that he will. But sometimes I want to do it my own way. I want to jump ahead of him. I want to be in a hurry. And then I'm reminded of this story. The things that happen when we jump out of God's will and go ahead on our own. There is unrest in the Middle East today because of Abraham's decision to trust his own way instead of trusting God. And so we must realize that the decisions we make are not in the bubble, but that they affect other people. Possibly even for years and years to come. Could we um, I just want to share this other thing um, as we think about God's blessings and we just read about the blessings that Israel was given in his family but Effie March has enumerated some of God's blessings. He says that we as Christians have the following blessing. An acceptance that can never be questioned, Ephesians 1.6. An inheritance that can never be lost, 1 Peter 1.3-5. A deliverance that can never be excelled, 2 Corinthians 1.10. A grace that can never be limited, 2 Corinthians 12.9. A hope that can never be disappointed, Hebrews 6.18-19. and 19. A bounty that can never be withdrawn, Colossians 3, 21-23. A joy that can never be diminished. John fifteen eleven, A nearness to God that can never be reversed. Ephesians two thirteen, 
a peace that can never be disturbed, John 14, 27, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, a salvation that can never be canceled, Hebrews 5, 9. So many blessings that we have. And so as we near the end of this chapter, we will see that Joseph is going to meet his family and he's going to give them some instructions before they go and meet the Pharaoh. This Joseph that they mocked, this Joseph that they said, you will never be the Lord over us. And what happens? They are bowing down before him and now they know that he is a ruler in Egypt. So let's just read this, these last few verses of Genesis chapter 46, verses 28 to 34. And he sent Judah before him on to Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came unto the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went to meet his father to Goshen. And he presented himself unto him, and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh, and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh shall call you and say, What is your occupation? Then ye shall say, Thy servant's trade had been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, for this I want to bring out a couple of things. First of all, he sends Judah in before them. Um, Judah being one of the older sons. But also it's kind of neat to realize that Judah went before them into Goshen to, to kind of kind of seek it out, kind of search the way, clear the path, go before them. And truly that is what Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, does for us. He has gone before us. He has bridged the gap between heaven and hell. He made it possible for me to be accepted in the Beloved. I echo the words of Paul when I say, in me, that is in my flesh, I know dwells no good thing. But I also know that I can say thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I stand at the pearly gates one day, and praise God I will stand because I'll have a new body. If the question is asked, why should you get into my heaven? My only answer will be Jesus. 
It won't be because of what I did. Because the, any good that I do is be through the power of Jesus Christ. There is nothing good in me. Those who are close to me can attest to that. But there is all good in Jesus Christ. Remember, the rich young ruler said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus say? He said, Why callest thou me good? No one is good but God alone. We witnessed a baptism tonight. The significance of which is this. I cannot live my life alone. But I have chosen to align myself with Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no way to be saved apart from God. Why were the people of Israel um, released from Egypt? Yes, it was prophesied that they would be. But remember what God said when they were released. He said, I have heard the cries of my people, the Hebrews, and I'm sending you, Moses, to them. Because I've heard their cries, and now I want to respond to their cries by delivering them. If you want deliverance from your sin, you need only to cry out to Jesus. Remember what Peter said. He said, if you will be the Christ, let me walk out to you on the water. If this is Jesus, let me walk out to you on the water. And he walked out and he was walking on the water. And after a few moments, he thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I'm walking on the water. And then he looked down and he saw the storm. He saw the waves raging and he started to sink. And he didn't have time to have some great work that he did. He didn't have time to to recite even the Lord's Prayer, which he had heard previously, all he could say is, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and saved him and put him in the boat. And not only did he put him in the boat, but the boat immediately was on the other side of the shore. That's the power of God. And I can say to you with utmost certainty, God may not deliver you from the trial that you're in, but he will walk with you through that trial. And then Joseph goes to his father and he presents himself unto him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. I can't imagine what that must have been like. My guess is this wasn't like a three minute period of time. I didn't look up the words, but my guess is this was a much longer period of time. They just stood there transfixed. They could not believe what was actually happening. Again, God showing himself that he was with Joseph. And Joseph said, I'm going to go and speak for you. And... um, 
Then he says, if Pharaoh comes and asks you what you're doing here, what is your occupation, tell them that you are shepherds and that you and that you want to live in the land of Goshen. What is the significance of living in the land of Goshen? Well, if you look at verse 10, which we already read, we read, And the sons of Simeon came from uh, Eli, um, came from a Canaanitish woman. So at least one of the children of Israel had married a, a foreigner of the land of Canaan. And so I think Joseph is saying here, I don't want my, my family to just get jobs in Egypt. I don't want them to just be secured in Egypt. They need to be separate. So I'm going to lead them to the land of Goshen. And the significance of that is that when they become bigger, when they're ready to leave, then they want to leave. See, God knew what they needed. He knew they needed to go to Egypt to survive. But he also knew they needed to leave Egypt to survive. You see, if things had just gone well for them in Egypt, they never would have gone back to Canaan where God said, this is the possession that I have for you. This is the land which you are to occupy. As a matter of fact, if you, if, if, as you, we read on, through their travels, what is the one thing they say repeatedly? We should go back to Egypt. Because at least there, our bellies were full. We might have had slavery. We might have had to be whipped. We might have had to make straw to make brick. But at least our bellies were full. But God says to us, as he said to them, I am your source. I am the one who gives you bread from heaven. <clears throat> and that should be enough. And later on in their history, when they say, give us a king, like all the other nations, Samuel is grieving and he says, God, why are they doing this? And God says to him, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. It is important for us to realize that God is in control. That he knows what we need. And it's interesting. It says here, Then you shall say, Thy servants trade and have been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we also and our fathers did keep that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now that doesn't sound like a pleasant thing, to be an abomination to the Egyptians. But this was just another way that God was protecting his people. Was that I'm not going to let these people get close to you. As a matter of fact, as you grow they're going to fear you. And remember, he said to 
Abraham, your, your people will be enslaved, but I will deliver them with a mighty hand. And so he did with the ten plagues. Sometimes I look at that and I think, well, maybe if I were God, I would have done it in two or three, just gotten it over with sooner. But God had a plan. And he carried out his plan. And his plan for all of history cannot be thwarted. No one is in any place of authority until or unless God gives it to them. Can we look at Exodus chapter 8, verses 25 and 26? Exodus 8, 25 and 26. If someone could read that for us quickly. Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And, Mo- and Moses said, It is not meet to do meet so to do, for we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians, the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? Again, just a reflection on the fact, remember, I said that shepherds are an abomination to the people of Egypt. And so this very fact, this idea of sacrificing sheep in the boundaries of Egypt, they couldn't do. He said, why would, why would we do this abomination before the eyes of the Egyptians? And so eventually God would lead them out. And he would be with them all throughout the years. And he would sometimes allow them to be chastened but he would never abandon them. The book of Judges is full of God's love and mercy as well as judgment. It is frequently said of those who do not believe God is love. Why would you talk about so much hate? But it is impossible to truly understand the love of God until you understand the judgment of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all gone our own way. Nobody is good enough for heaven. We all miss the mark. But Jesus died on a Roman cross some 2,020 or more years ago so that you and I could have freedom in him. Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall set you free. You will be free indeed. You know, the Pharisees foolishly said, why would we need freedom? We're not in bondage to anyone. The God of this world has blinded many to believe that they are in freedom. The only way to freedom is through Jesus Christ. The only way to peace is through the Prince of Peace. My appeal to you today would be that you would fall on your knees in your heart at least and that you would trust him. He said in John chapter 9 verses 9 and 10 The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy but I am come that they might have life 
and they might have it more abundantly. My friends, that is for then, but it's also for now. I've never experienced the level of abundant life that I have now before I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I fully surrendered and put him on the throne of my life, I did not know what abundant life was all about. But now I can struggle, I can have daily pain, I can have trials of life on this earth, and still know that I have abundant life. Because he gives me a song. He has put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to my God. In closing, I'll just share this quote and then we'll close in prayer. In Jesus Christ on the cross, there is refuge. There is safety, there is shelter. And all the power of sin on our track cannot reach us when we have taken shelter under the cross that atones for our sins. A.C. Dixon. Have you taken your stand beneath the cross of Jesus? My hope and prayer is that your answer is yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for, again, for Morgan and her decision to follow you in the waters of baptism. We thank you for the faithfulness that you showed to the children of Israel, leading them into Egypt and then leading them back back out, providing for your people the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. And that you extend that to all men who love his appearing. We praise you for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.